2 Kings chapter 1, like father, like son. 2 Kings chapter 1. Uh, after the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now, Ahaziah, who is Ahaziah? That's Ahab's son. Now, Ahaziah uh, fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men uh, with his uh, 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, Old man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Calm down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him with his 50. Again the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of uh, Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. 
because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Now today, of course, we begin uh, our study of going through 2 Kings. Now, it's important to understand that initially, 1 and 2 Kings comprised only one book. And in the Hebrew text, this one book is simply referred to as Kings, from chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Kings. Now, most of you are probably acquainted with the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. Once the Israelites, the people of Judah, had gone into Babylonian captivity for 70 years and learned Aramaic, and then Alexander the Great trying to Hellenize the world, make it Greek, a lot of the Jews uh, had lost touch with their native Hebrew language. And so they needed scripture in their language. So hence you have the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And... Uh, the translators of the Septuagint, sometimes you'll see it as LXX. That'll be the abbreviation for Septuagint. Roman numeral for what? 70. Signifying the 70 translators. But this, uh, the translators of the Septuagint divided kings into two books. Now as far as we know, they did this as a simple matter of convenience. So on the scrolls, it would be broken up, be two books easier to handle. Well, along comes the Latin Vulgate, and it preserved that tradition of, of keeping two books. And then most English translations today, following the Latin Vulgate, the tr tradition from that, keeping it in two books. But content is not affected, okay? Whether it was originally one book or now two books, same content. Same content's not affected. Now, last week as we finished 1 Kings, we saw how Ahab died. You remember that story? He got Jehoshaphat to go into battle with him against Benadad, the king of the Syrians. And Jehoshaphat went into battle with his regal robes, but Ahab went in disguise because he knew that Elijah had prophesied that he was going to be killed. So he goes into battle in disguise thinking he can save his life, but he's killed in battle. And dogs licked up the blood from the bottom of his chariot just like Elijah had prophesied. Now Ahab's son Ahaziah has come to the throne. And what we see is that, unfortunately, the sins of the father are going to be repeated in the son. Tragic how that so often happens. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is when things aren't as they appear. When things aren't as they appear. Look at verse 2 again. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, 
whether I shall recover from this sickness. Now, Ahaziah, the name Ahaziah means held by Yahweh. But ironically, his heart was unfortunately given in devotion, not to Yahweh, but to Baal. So here was a man who had learned apparently nothing whatsoever from the tragic death of his father. You know, surely he had to have known about that showdown on Mount Carmel. He had to have known about all that. And here he is following in the tradition of his mom and dad, Jezebel and Ahab, and he appears to have learned absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. He's followed in the footsteps of his father. He's an idolater. That ought to be a lesson to fathers. That we need to set the proper example of faith in God for our children. His name refers to his life being held in the hands of Yahweh, and yet he's made his life a living sacrifice, not for Yahweh, but for Baal. You know, we don't always, even as Christians, live up to our name, do we? Here's a man not living up to his name. So oftentimes we don't either. The Bible says in the book of Acts that it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Do you know what, you, do you know what it was referring to? Little Christ. And it wasn't used of early Christians as a compliment, really. It was a term of derision. There goes some of those little Christ. They're just like their master that they claim allegiance to Jesus. There goes a bunch of little Christ. Now, why would they be referred to as little Christ? Because... The way they lived, they looked like Jesus, they acted like Jesus. Folks, that's the way we ought to be, right? I guess the question is, would anybody today call us Christians out of that same motive? There goes somebody that, what I've read of Jesus in the Bible, there goes somebody that's just like Jesus. I hope people would say that about us. But would they? Would they say that about you? Think about that. So oftentimes as Christians, instead of looking like little Christ, we've given way too much of our lives to the world. We look too much like the world. So, you know, we might criticize Ahaziah for having a name that points to him being a worshiper of Yahweh when he wasn't in reality. We might criticize him for not living up to his name. But again, we need to ask ourselves, are we living up to our name? But again, he's an idolater just like his dad. He seems to have learned nothing from the poor example and poor legacy of Jezebel and Ahab. 
Second thing I want you to see with me. Misplaced trust. Beginning there in verse 2 and going down through verse 8. On this particular day in question, what has he done? He's gone up on his rooftop. Now remember what I said Sunday about ancient rooftops? An outside staircase leading up to a flat roof and that was like an outdoor room. That'd be like your sunroom up there. You'd go up there to pray or go up there to sleep on a cool night or maybe go up there to entertain a guest. And so it was usable space. Uh, the, the rooftop was just simply an extension of your home. Well, this one had some lattice work around the top, probably designed there to give a little bit of privacy. Uh, to those on the rooftop, but it'd be lattice, so while providing some privacy, it also let wind in. Uh, perhaps in a drunken stupor, as some suppose, maybe it was just pure accident, but again, he might have been drunk, Ahaziah falls off the roof. He has a serious injury. Here's an Israelite king, and what does he do? He sends messengers to inquire of Baal, the false god Baal, whether or not he's going to get well or not. Now, this is unbelievable. It's a clear indication of misplaced trust. He has clearly broken the commandment, the very first commandment, that they were not to have any other gods other than Yahweh. Folks, this shows you how much Israel has declined. I mean, think about it. Think of them standing there at the base of Mount Horeb, Moses up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and the people are trembling in fear. God's appearing to them. God's appearing to Moses, giving the Ten Commandments, and they're, they're telling Moses, you go up there for us, and, and whatever God says we'll do, we'll worship God and God alone. I mean, they were trembling. So they've gone from that kind of recognition of God and that kind of fear of God to now they're just a nation worshiping the idols and false gods. Boy, when you think of how they have declined. You know, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But it also says sin is a reproach to any people. Don't you wonder how Israel could have turned its back on God so soon? But just look at America. You know, we're coming up on 4th of July celebrations. Look how we have fallen. You've heard me share some of these things on a Sunday morning. I think they bear repeating. Listen to the words of John Jay. John Jay was the first chief justice and father of the Supreme Court and one of the primary writers of our Constitution. He wrote, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. He served both as vice president and president of the American Bible Society. 
He also expressed a belief that the moral precepts of Christianity were necessary for good government, saying no human society has ever been able to maintain both order and freedom, both cohesiveness and liberty, apart from the moral precepts of the Christian religion. Should our republic ever forget this fundamental precept of government governance, we will then be surely doomed. The first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. In 1892, the Supreme Court declared this about Christianity in America. Our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based on and must include the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible for it to be otherwise. To this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. The Supreme Court in 1892. Also in 1892, in the case of the Church of the Holy Trinity versus U.S., uh, in 1892, the Supreme Court wrote this. This is a religious people. This is, this is historically true. From the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. These are not individual, individual sayings, declarations of private persons. They are organic utterance. They speak the voice of the entire people. These and many other matters which might be noticed add a volume of unofficial declarations to the mass of organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. And not only did Congress in 1792, or excuse me, 1782, approve the use of the Bible in our schools, they even paid for them with tax dollars. And in 1844, when somebody sued to remove them, the Supreme Court ruled, why should not the Bible, and especially the New Testament, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the schools? Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? And in 1876, the Constitution of North Carolina reads, No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Protestant religion or the divine authority of the older New Testaments or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom and safety of the state shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit in the civil department within this state. So in North Carolina in 1876, basically the Constitution said if you're not a Christian of the Protestant faith, you're not even worthy to hold public office. Folks, what's happened? Same thing that happened to Israel. We've taken a great fall. I mean, we read these passages in First and Second Kings and we see how they decline, but we've got to admit, we as a nation have done the very same thing. We even today have representatives in Washington 
who, who have done something so incredibly disgusting as to call for Supreme Court justices to be given a hard time if they try to undo Roe v. Wade. I don't know what to say other than the fact that we have absolute reprobates now who lead us in Washington, D.C. And the sad thing about it is Americans love it so. We have fallen. Here we have Ahaziah turning to a false god, an idol in his hour of need. Where do we turn in our hour of need? It says a lot about us, doesn't it? Folks, we need to understand God is sovereign. He knows what Ahaziah has done. He knows, God knows Ahaziah has sent for a message from Baal. That ought to cause us to pause. God even knows our faults, just as King David said in Psalm 139. God knows our faults and the motives of our heart even before we have our thoughts. God is sovereign. Somebody has asked, why would he send 40 miles away to Ekron? Well, it's been suggested maybe he's trying to keep his whole illness a secret. He didn't want people around him to know how sick he really was. He was afraid he was about to die. Now, by the way, there's some sarcasm in the text here. The writer ridicules this god of Ekron by changing his name from the original Beelzebul, which means Prince Baal, to Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. <laughs> you, you've got to love the sarcasm here of showing the utility of who it is that Ahaziah is turning to. You know, maybe it's time we ridicule some of the false gods that America's trusting in. Well, the third thing I want you to see, reaping a harvest, verses 3 through 4 and then 9 to 18. God raises up Elijah to go with a message of Ahaziah's soon-to-be death. You know, Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. It's judgment time. It's death time and judgment time. For Ahaziah. Ahaziah doesn't realize how close to death he is. God is about to take his life. Now sad to say, when these men go uh, and, and return to the king, did you notice they don't even recognize Elijah? Did you notice that? You know, the king is... The king says, why have you returned? They said to him, I, I'm in verse 6, there came a man to meet us. They don't even know who it is. Here is a prophet in the land and the king's servants don't even know who Elijah is. But you know, again, we have to say the same thing about a lot of people in America, right? Right? To a lot of people in America, if you mention the name D.L. Moody, they'd say, who? Who? What about Charles Spurgeon? Who? G. Campbell Morgan? Who? David Brainerd? 
people in America, if you asked them who's Charles Stanley, they'd say, who? Never heard of him. But oh, if you ask them about Lady Gaga or Jennifer Lopez or the Kardashians or Tom Brady, they'd know all kinds of details about their lives, but they don't know anything about God's servants. So what I'm getting at is that what is recorded here is, is a sad testimony on the state of the land. The people did not even know God's servants and God's prophets anymore. Didn't even know who they were. Is that not evidence too of how they have fallen spiritually? Now verse 9. Then the king sent him a captain of 50 men with his 50. It's believed that what's going on here, this, this reveals a stiff-necked rebellion in the heart of the king. Instead of repenting and seeking God's mercy, he's sending a battalion after Elijah. His plan is evidently either to capture or to kill Elijah. The thought is... If he can kill God's man, he can silence the message. And by silencing the message, he can change the message. Again, isn't that a lot like people today? And instead of listening to the message, they want to silence the messenger. And, and it amazes me the links some people will go to. There are people, I guarantee you, that sit in churches week after week and refuse to turn to Christ. They, they hear the message, they know what the preacher is saying, and yet they'll turn on the messenger before they let the message change them. They're offended by God's word. And so they turn on the messenger. Is that cancel culture? Yeah, exactly. The links that some people will go to to not respond to the message. I mean, you read in Revelation chapter 9 when tri tribulation is breaking out on the face of the earth. The people are calling for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them, but the text says they still would not repent of all of their sin. So what happens here? Fire, fire falls from heaven. And yet neither Ahaziah nor the second captain are deterred. The second captain is even more belligerent. He doesn't say just calm down. He adds a now or a quickly to it. He says essentially, you didn't come down for the first captain, but I'm telling you on the order of the king, you better come down right now. What happens? He dies too, and his men. What's God teaching them? He's teaching them that an earthly king doesn't call the shots. They thought they were going to demand of God's servants to come down and answer, answer to the earthly king, but God, the heavenly king, is showing them that he and he alone is the true ruler. Let that be a lesson to earthly kings today. They can issue their orders. They can push people around. 
But God and God alone ultimately rules from heaven. The third captain, notice he comes in a spirit of humility. Not pride, not ordering. He's scared. He knows what's happened to the first two. He comes in a totally different attitude. He comes with humility. And, and God knows that this captain doesn't mean Elijah any harm, so he tells Elijah to go with him. This certainly shows that God's able to protect his servants. The first two captains with their men intended Elijah harm, and God killed them instead. This captain means Elijah no harm, and so God allows Elijah to go with him. Elijah shows himself before Ahaziah pronounces God's judgment on him. And what happens to Ahaziah? He dies. God's word comes to pass. And let that be a lesson to us as well. What God has said in the past has either come to pass or it's coming to pass. And what assurance does that give us? Whatever God has said for the future, we can trust that too. He's a God who keeps His word and keeps His promises. Now in Ahaziah's place, his brother Jehoram becomes king because Ahaziah has no son. Here's a confusing point though. After Jehoshaphat in Judah... What's the guy in Judah named? Jehoram. So now you've got a Jehoram over Judah, the southern kingdom, and a Jehoram that's king over the northern kingdom, Israel. Because of that, some translations, like if you're reading tonight from the NIV, for instance, they will call this Jehoram simply Joram. They'll, they'll take the H out and spell it J-O-R-A-M, Joram, instead of Jehoram, so that we'll keep a distinction between these two Jehorams. Now there's some lessons here tonight. Lesson number one, parents need to be aware of the kind of legacy they're passing down to their children. You know, one's got a got to wonder if, if Ahaziah would have been any different if he had parents other than Ahab and Jezebel. What if he would have had godly parents? I think he would probably turned out to be a different kind of person. So again, parents, we, we need to stop and think about the type of legacy we're leaving for our children and grandchildren. What type of example of faithfulness are we being? We need to think about that. I'm not saying they're going to follow our example just because we set the example. But we need to set the example and give them every opportunity. Right? Second lesson. Just because we may carry a name with a noble meaning doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It's easy to say, hey, I'm a Christian. I mean, that just rolls right off the lips. I'm Christian. But does it mean anything in your life? 
Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be plenty in that day, Jesus said, who will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Again, it's easy for a name to roll off your lips. But does your life represent what it means to be a Christian? Third lesson. God's sovereign over the lives of men. Even the reigns and, and the lives of powerful leaders are in His hands. God rules. And let's not forget that. Whether we talk today about Putin or Biden or whoever we might talk about, let's remember who's in charge. God's in charge. God's sovereign. And His will is going to be done. And we need to remember that. When we think about the world and the shape that it's in, we need to remember that history is His story. And what's happening is because God's allowing it for some reason. And sometimes God doesn't give us who we need as leaders. God gives us who we deserve. You know? God's in charge. Okay, any thoughts that you might have on the chapter? Yeah, really. Yeah, Ahab and Jezebel name and Ahaziah this when they were Baal worshippers. Yeah. They were probably doing it to appease the faithful in the land, you know? Oh, we're... Look at us. We serve Yahweh too. We're naming our son this when they didn't have any intention of serving Yahweh. I defined the description of uh, Elijah remarkably matched that of John the Yeah. Oh, yeah. Air. Oh, yeah. And what Jesus said of John the Baptist? Jesus said, if you can accept it, John is the Elijah who is to come. Yep, comparisons between the two. Uh, years ago, the FBI did something they probably wouldn't do today. They, uh, they went to a man of God for information. He was, uh, we had an evangelist at our church. He uh, had a, a big uh, uh, Scandinavian name, but anyway, he was well known. The FBI, he said the FBI went, uh, went to him and said, uh, what is uh, David Koresh, what is he going to do next? Uh, because they said, well, David Koresh preaches the Bible. Well, you preach the Bible, so you should help us out, help us out. And so uh, the fellow that was uh, in our church, he said, uh, the evangelist said, uh, I have no idea because he's not following the word of God. So it it, it really makes a difference uh, uh, what church you go to, and you hear 
Uh, some people like to go to, they have itching ears. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like this part. Or I can change this part. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, when you were mentioning about the, uh, also what the story said about bringing down fire, we've had a, uh, Rick Amato from Liberty Baptist Church came to our, our, uh, our church for a couple of meetings. And I, was, I went to that church 34 years and nothing like this ever happened before. But that night he was preaching on hell. And in the middle of a sermon, we had to evacuate the church. The church was surrounded by fire. <laughs> the woods all around the church, the, the fire department made us get, so it was very strange. There's almost 34 years, it never happened like nothing. <laughs> but, uh, so God, uh, God does work in strange ways. <laughs> Richard, you've got a story for every occasion. I love your story. I hope you're writing all these things down. <laughs> you need to write a book of all these stories. I'm very forgetful, but this brings me to Sure. Sure, it's great. It's very important in what church you go to. Oh, absolutely. In the current administration, none that I'm aware of. None that I'm aware of. He may have spiritual advisors, but I'm, I'm not aware of it. Hmm? You what? I think it's Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> Any other, any other insights? Any other comments? Well, didn't when um, Abraham was in, didn't God also say that his family line went in? Yes. So in fact, we're gonna we're gonna see coming up in a few chapters how Ahab's line will completely be cut off. Good, good insight. That's coming. <laughs>